it only Thursday. So uh, Thursday, I looked for this like washing of the feet. It's another thing. You go to church, right? You see all these cute kids on the altar. Maybe there are deacons on the altar. Or maybe when Nadek was Nadek, that Nadek was starting, he used to wash like I don't know, four hundred and thirty kids' feet. You know. <laughs> on a Sunday. Thursday. We'd be there for like another hour. <laughs> Not with those knees now. No. I can't do that anymore. But back in the day. But in John's Gospel, we see the washing their feet by the disciples. That is mostly what people remember because they see all this. But the act was kind of symbolic, right? Correct. So it shows the greatest leader of creation, okay, showing us how to treat one another. And in that gospel, he gives us a new commandment. Correct. To love one another as he loves us. So we had the Ten Commandments. This wasn't in them. So here he gives us a new commandment. In the three other gospels, it speaks more about the Lord's Supper, which we enact every Sunday during Badalak. And here, Jesus gives us a new covenant. Now, what does that mean? You want to talk about it or you want me to talk about it? I, I think I'd like to hear from you. Okay. To me, Holy Thursday is about the institution of the Lord's Supper. And that is the main event in Abadak. Even if you come to our churches at St. Circus Church, our tradition is to have like um, the divine liturgy early in the evening, which is followed by washing of the feet. And then we go to the Chabarum and the Vespers that we have at night. But the main event of that day is the celebration of the Eucharist. And that Eucharist is very unique because that is the institution of the Lord's Supper. And when we look at it throughout his ministry, Jesus had uh, various occasions to break the bread with different groups of people in different settings. And now there's a culmination, which is the, you know, the, the celebration of the Passover dinner. And he instructs the disciples to go and prepare the Passover lamb. And the disciples are thinking, oh, this is just another um, Pasek celebration. We're going to celebrate um, Passover according to our traditions. They prepare the lamb and everything. And when Jesus sits, it was expected for the elder of the family to initiate the prayers. There were certain readings, certain recitations that people were involved in. But suddenly we see that Jesus is not following the norm. He is doing something different. And um, he institutes the Eucharist. And this is what I was saying earlier about, you know, if we take the Last Supper or we take, yeah, the events of the Last Supper, we look at what's happening on Good Friday, Good Friday then becomes an execution. But when we look at it from the you know, perspective of what happened on Thursday, then we see that this is the sacrifice. And it's, I, I read a book not too long ago, it's called The Fourth Cup. Very interesting uh, book. Speaks about that you know, in the Jewish tradition, they were supposed to have four glasses of wine to celebrate certain events of the Passover. And Jesus, and this is uh, very clear in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus drinks three cups of wine, uh, and then he doesn't drink the fourth. And then on the cross, when everything is done, 
he says, I am thirsty. And they give him what on the cross? Vinegar. It's not vinegar. If you check the text, it says sour wine. Sour. They don't use the word okay. vinegar. They use sour wine. Okay. He takes that sponge into, you know, he takes whatever is um, on the sponge. And after drinking that, he says, it is finished. So the author of this book was saying that the sacrificial dinner, the lamb, comes to an end when Jesus takes that fourth cup, which is on the cross. Mm. It is now become so profound. It is connected. And um, we have, obviously, I mean, we don't want to make this into a Bible study, but the Gospel of John has a different take on it. Jesus is crucified right when they were slaughtering the lambs. It's a different perspective. He is the eternal Lamb of God, and He's being sacrificed for our, for our sin and for our sake, so that God's forgiveness will be given to us. As a child, I learned about this from our parish priest, God bless his soul, and he instilled this so deep in our hearts that it was my, you know, um, it, it was like an obligation almost to go to church on this day, on Holy Thursday, and make sure that you take the communion on that day, because you are really part of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And after that, obviously, we have the washing of the feet. As you said, it is um, an act of humility. Jesus is, you know, as the humble uh, Lord, he is kneeling in front of the feet of the disciples and he's washing his, their dirty feet. And um, But besides the hum humility, because if you go and follow the prayers of our church uh, and the way the whole thing is kind of designed, you see that there's something more happening. It feels like this is um, almost an initiation that is happening in the life of the disciples. He is putting, or he's setting their feet ready for the new journey. That's in one of the shotguns that we sent. Yes, yes, yes. As if he is giving his word, metaphorically speaking, speaking and give, putting it on their feet so that now they will take the journey and spread uh, the word to the entire world. And also on that, uh, on that note, he's also giving us a new covenant, right? Yes. Not like the old one, but one that will write the law on the hearts of the people. And, uh, and this is the big one, he says, I will forgive their sins and I will no longer remember their wrongs. Because before that, they had to do it with the lamb sacrifice to get forgiveness. So what we're talking about here is grace, right? Of course. Of course. And, that, and that's... And to simplify what you're say, saying is that God's forgiveness is not like... You want to participate, or I want to participate in a marathon, but I have a bad knee, and God goes like, oh, you have a bad knee, I'm not going to hold that against you. It's not something like that it's more of a sense of healing you know it's erasing the record of our transgressions and starting fresh and to know that god can do this to you 
That, that is a great sense of grace because a lot of time people struggle with past wrongdoings. And there's that sense of guilt. And For years, for yes, decades. Yes, yes. What I tell them is that there is forgiveness. Obviously, if you have wronged someone, you need to go and make that right, you know. And it's our duty to make it right. But when it comes to receiving forgiveness, God forgives. And God's forgiveness is unlimited. And this is... So the challenge I have with that topic, and this goes to your other career, if God forgives us, why can't we forgive ourselves sometimes? Well, that requires a lot of inner work and um, deconstruction of some old constructs that are no longer working for us. Um, and uh, that is also pretty challenging, but with God's grace, we, we can't change. So at dusk, after Holy Thursday, we start Chabad. Chabad, right? yes. So, uh, it's, it's a very popular, I would say, popular service in the Lent Baal Church. Um, it's a marathon. It's a marathon. Uh, I like people when they come and they... Um, I see people that I wouldn't see on any other day. It's very interesting. They come and they pray with us on that specific day. Uh, it shows that that day, Holy Thursday night, has a special meaning in the hearts of some people. Why do you say it's a marathon? Well, it's the longest church service that we have. We've done the whole, yeah, the whole correct, way, not correct. cut. Like I remember when we were dead Asterik back in old St. Circus, we used to do the 40 dead Roramyas, and there were all these old hymns that were sung and stuff like that. But it takes us through everything, right, that happens from Thursday night in the upper room to the betrayal, trial, and crucifixion. And our church service cites psalms and combines them the Old Testament reading, Correct. right? And then the Gospels to show the genius of the Bible and the completion of Christ's mission on earth. Now this, again, it's stational. So there's steps and it goes through each of the steps that God is taking and that guides us through the candles mm -hmm. that are lit and starts at the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Correct. Which is actually a place they used to press olives. Our Lord goes to pray with who? With three of his disciples. Right. The same three that were at the Transfiguration, right? So, uh, knowing what was to come that night, he, the disciples couldn't stay awake, and he was literally, what it says in the Armenian Bible, it's sweating blood. He was so upset, and he looks at them and he says, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? It's uttered by Jesus. Then Jesus comes, Judas comes, and he betrays him with a kiss. But Jesus doesn't let any harm come yes. to any of the guards, and he heals one that Peter cuts off his ear. I always thought that, you know, might as well left the ear, they're gonna crucify him, screw that guy, but Jesus doesn't let him do that, okay? And, uh, Jesus then bound and taken to Jewish authorities, Caiaphas, yes. Caiaphas and Annas. And those houses where he's taken are still there. And they are currently owned by the Armenian Patriarchate of Jerusalem. 
I didn't know that before this class. I didn't know that either. Okay. And uh, Peter denies Christ three times. This is him going all the way to the one extreme. Then feeling really bad, guilty, upset, until finally Jesus calls him. And date time's about to start, and then it's good for Yes. But I'm sure I'm missing like 13,000 things. No, you're not. I think you're good. Um, I'd like to supplement, say, a few things, uh, if I can. Um, the service of Holy Thursday, as you said, you know, going to Gethsemane, and there are three disciples. Jesus asked, asks them to stay awake and pray with him. And he goes away, and they come back, comes back, and they're sleeping, right? I think what we do in our church is just to follow the instructions of Jesus. Stay awake and pray with us. So that's what we do. That's why the service starts at a certain hour, and we kind of, it's prolonged, and we read seven Gospels, and we're praying with the Gospels. One of the traditions that we have is, you know, making knots with, uh, that we eventually um, have them on our wrists, right? Uh, with, with, what do you call that? Is it, is it a twig? Is it, uh, um, that's a very good tradition because it is following an instruction that comes to us from the Old Testament, you know, that says, wrap the word of God around uh, your wrist. And that's what we're doing. It is the word of God that we carry with us. It's a, it is also like a testimony that, yes, we were there. Sometimes people are like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be there, but Hajj Sinti Mekat Paramu with us. We do that, but it's not the same, you know. Uh, you have to be part of this and you have to pray um, following the instructions of Jesus. Now, I don't want to go through every detail, but I want to just comment on two characters Judas and Peter. Two extremes, right? Um, one person who we don't hear much about him, you know, in the entire um, events of the New Testament. And then he appears in the closing chapters and is plotting the betrayal. He betrays, he betrays with a kiss. And then obviously um, he cannot live with that guilt. He ends up killing himself. So what a sad, what a grim uh, experience to have. And then we have Peter. Peter, who's a type A personality, is always like outspoken. He, you can, you can sense that he has a lot of emotions, ups and downs in his life. When he sees something wonderful, he's like, let's build tents and let's stay here. You know, and then when Jesus says, you're going to betray, no, I'm not going to betray you. And then he ends up betraying him. And he was like, no, I don't know him. You know, those fluctuations in his personality. It has its strength and it has its weaknesses, you know, from, from a personality perspective. But he has the humility to um, go to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. What we see in Judas is that he's quiet, he's silent, and then he, he does something very vicious. And then maybe he's too proud. He... There's no room for forgiveness for him. He doesn't go to Jesus for that forgiveness. He ends up in a worse place. And we know, as, you know, from our Christian perspective, suicide is rejecting that God's gift, right? But Peter goes back and he receives forgiveness. And after that forgiveness, his life is changed and he becomes, you know, the champion uh, among the 12. So 
God's grace, again, it's an untapped resource. If we go, we will be enriched. If we don't go, nothing is going to happen to the to that source of grace, but it is us who's going to uh, eventually miss out. Those are the things that I wanted to add. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, let's continue. Uh, Good Friday. Good Friday. The most somber day in the life of the church. So, what I learned from my course to Professor Lelegian is that uh, Good Friday service was eventually, uh, used to be a lot longer than we practice today. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, Jesus taken to Pontius Pilate, question, Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with him, he finds no fault in him. He washes his washes hands. His hands. And then Jesus is beaten, humiliated, and returned to Pilate. And then he goes towards Golgotha. And it said Jesus visited seven locations. And there are seven gospel readings. And 16 psalm readings that are supposed to take place during the night vigil service. And those are really the, 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 the tying it all together. So you're kind of tying yourself to the Lord's suffering mm -hmm. through these readings. So he's crucified, not coincidentally, at the same time as Passover. I mean, they couldn't have timed it any yes. better. This was planned. This was like preordained. Everything was preordained. Yes. It couldn't change they one do it second. Right at the time, you know, so that they can go and then they can have their sacrificial lamb, their Passover right. there. And but, obviously this is something that the Gospel of John, uh, you know, tells us. The synoptics, they have a different take. Gospel of John is very good at this. And he is now the sacrificial one. Okay, so on the ninth hour of the day, or at 3 p.m., that was another thing I couldn't get straight. The ninth hour, the 3 p.m., all that stuff. Still a little hazy about all that. But Jesus cried out on the Lord's voice and emitted forth the Spirit. So here at this time, the veil hanging in the temple, the Holy of Holies is split. And that was always kind of like something no one could see behind there, right? right? That was kind of a secret place. So that kind of supposedly is representing the opening of grace between God and his people. And from then until evening, they take Jesus' body, wrap it in linen, and bury him. And several women witness the burial inside a raccoon tomb in a garden nearby which was the owned by Nicodemus, I believe. Mm -hmm. I mean, the events of uh, the crucifixion and then the burial, they, they rather hasty, they happen rather quickly and um, no one expected for Jesus to die that quickly. But um, as I said, it's a, it's a somber day for us, you know, as Christians, and um, personally, I like to focus on the seven words that Jesus speaks on the cross. Those are very short, but um, very profound. And I think in 2020, when we were in the middle of the pandemic and the lockdowns, and we had no, obviously, we would have ch church services without any participants, I, uh, I did a lengthy um, sermon, I think it's about 30 minutes or so, which I usually don't, my sermons are, uh, 
shorter uh, about the, those seven last words of Jesus on the on the on the cross, and uh, it's later on I heard that there was some Armenian TV that was playing that sermon. Uh, people from other places were calling me. Um, we need to be mindful of the meaning of the day. It is that day when God sacrifices himself for us. It is that day when reconciliation happens between us and God. It is one of the most important days in the life of our church. And I'm going to say something which may sound a little um, unorthodox or um, I'm getting you know, outside the context of what we're trying to do here. But I find it you know, really annoying. I find it really annoying uh, when people on Good Friday, they choose to just hang out. They choose to just go out and eat and, you know, take it just like, oh, it's just another day. Kids don't have school. Let's do something fun. No. No. Look at it this way. If somebody from your family passed away, God forbid, you have a death in your family, obviously you're not going to go, going to, go to, to work that day. Your kids are not going to go to school that day. Are you going to just go and have fun? Or are you going to spend that day in a different way, contemplating, thinking about the meaning of that person in your life. So Good Friday is that day that the church invites us to think and contemplate about the cutting of that veil, as you said, uh, of the temple, of God revealing the Holy of Holies to us, of you know open access that we have to God, and also the pain and the suffering that Jesus uh, took upon himself for our sake. We sing, You were crucified for us. It's not like you were a bad guy and they crucified you. No, you were crucified for us. That means there's something very personal here and we need to be mindful of that. So I, I went on a tangent and I apologize no, for no, that. But you know, something we talked about also in the course was what is crucifixion? And what was the significance of Jesus' crucifixion? And what a torturous thing it was. What a bad way to die. And, you know, we always have these images of a cross, but he was probably, they say there was a tree. Some people say he was, you know, it might not have been an actual physical cross the way we depict it. Right. But, but the way your body kind of falls, and usually it took a very long time for someone to be, die from crucifixion. It was like 12, 16, 20, sometimes three days. Excruciating comes from the cross, right? right. The, the, the term comes from there. But, but Jesus' death was done in a very short time. And when they asked for the body, yeah. he says, he's dead already? Yes, and the Bible and what, says... I never understood the significance of that. The Bible says it very clearly that, you know, he surrendered his spirit. Even the dying of Jesus was not because of the torture, was not because of the cross. It was the time to surrender his spirit back. So nothing was, you know, because of, oh, that one extra whip that he got on his back, that did it. No. It was everything according to the plan of God. And that spirit of Jesus returned back to God. And, you know, the theology uh, behind it, you know, gives us great explanation, which I'm not going to go there right now. But it was the return 
to be to, to be with God. And there are a lot of good things that happened there. Uh, one of them is obviously one of the thieves that is uh, the thugs that is crucified next to Jesus and the way that he receives forgiveness. You know, uh, today, he said, Jesus, you will be with me in paradise. It's so imminent. It's, uh, you know, when, when there's genuine conversion, even on the cross, God is willing to uh, give us that opportunity. Should we get to the Holy Saturday? Sure. Did you have anything else to add about Friday? Uh, no. Uh, so Jesus... Oh, let me add one more thing. Go ahead. We have a tradition in our church um, of decorating uh, a tomb that rep represents the tomb of Christ and we come and we show our respect. But one of the things that we do is very interesting. We take a flower from the tomb and we take it home with us. If we go to Cedar Grove or any cemetery, what do we do? We actually take flowers and we leave it there. Mm -hmm. But what, what happens here on Good Friday is the opposite. We take flowers from here because taking that flower symbolizes the hope of resurrection. Death is no longer the conqueror. Life is, is conquered and uh, Jesus has conquered death through his death, as uh, St. Paul says. Now we can go to Holy Saturday. Okay. All right. So Jesus is the perfect Jew, mm -hmm. right? So he rests on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then on Sunday comes the miracle, the biggest miracle seen. And who is it seen by? The women. The women, not let the men. Me, okay, let me go to Saturday and say something. Obviously, the resting and not working on Saturday is, is kind of um, depicted through, you know, dorming of Jesus in, in, the, in the tomb. But what about the disciples? What about us? Okay. They're scurrying. They're, they're scared. It's, 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 uh, it's not only scared, but the way that we look at it in the tradition of the church, Saturday, nothing much is happening. Yes, we have Saturday school kids coming to church and communion and you know brunch and whatnot. However, it's a time of waiting and anticipating. I love Holy Saturday, Dikon. You know what? Because Holy Saturday is a miniature of our life. How's that? Our life is waiting and anticipating for the return of Jesus, or for us to be united with him. Holy Saturday represents our life. And whatever you do in life, basically you're living with that hope of resurrection. So it's very significant to be mindful of the mystery of that day. Um, a lot of people say, oh, Zadik Yegabak. No, 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 it hasn't. We celebrate Zadik or uh, the Easter festivities begin with the Easter Eve. Easter Eve Badarak with the yeah, Holy Eucharist. But Holy Saturday, there's nothing going on. It's just anticipation. And what do you do? And you know, when you are in that state of waiting and anticipating, do you lose hope or you carry on? Depends on your character. Yes. I mean this is a rhetorical question, but um, we need to learn from the disciples to not lose hope. Hang in there. Because we're not alone. God is with us. So Easter Eve and Easter Sunday. So Easter Eve. Uh, resurrection. Shows. 
we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, triumphed over death, triumphed over the devil, and he stays with the apostles, and he shows himself to them. Mm -hmm. And they don't really get it at first. They don't even recognize who he is. How is that all possible? I'm, I'm, I, this is where the mystery becomes very interesting to me and how sometimes he appears and all of a sudden he disappears. And uh, that's kind of like what I'd question. Uh, so let's go with the chronology, at least of you know, our um, church services. We have Jirakalutz and then we have the readings, you know, Scripture readings handpicked from certain books of the Old Testament. This is on Saturday. On Saturday, yes. They all point to, you know, whatever has been foretold about the resurrection and the salvation that God was going to give. And that salvation is happening now in the person of Christ, his life and his, I mean, his crucifixion and his life giving. And all of that is foretold with the prophets yes. saying that it's going to be spread over all people, not just the Jews. Correct. And we're all going to be accepted into the kingdom. Correct. On that day, it is called Juraka Luitz. Jurak means lanterns. Luitz, Lutzanel, Lutzki. You know, it's the same word. We light the lanterns and we take, we're supposed to take them home. Don't start a fire anywhere, but it is a symbol of hope. We take the light of Jesus and uh, we lighten our homes with that light of faith. And they have that service in Jerusalem, right? Where the crazy guy walks Correct. around with the fire. Correct. This is somehow connected to what happens on Holy Tuesday. Uh, we all have light now. You know, there's no one left without light. It is through the grace of resurrection. Resurrection Sunday. Um, this goes back to the way that we started this recording with the resurrection of Lazarus, right? And now there's a contrast. The resurrection of Lazarus was the resuscitation of a dead body that happened through Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is no longer the same. It's not the resuscitation of the, of the dead body. It is Jesus who comes in his glorified body. Some people are not able to um, recognize him, including the women who are the first to whom Jesus appears after the resurrection. And this is such a powerful point. It's not the disciples who discover Jesus. It's not the guards who find the resurrected Jesus. It is women. And when we look at antiquity, uh, women were, could not go and uh, testify in court. Women's uh, witness and testimony meant nothing. And yet our entire you know, resurrection revelation is based on the testimony of women. What a weak... Uh, testimony that we have. Yet your entire belief system is built on that because there's conviction there. We don't, I mean, some people say, oh, it's just a fairy tale. If this was a fairy tale, people would have really tried hard to make it, you know, something that would not have those weak links there. Men would have seen the, you know, resurrection of Jesus, not women. But the Bible, the way it is, People who were marginalized, people who were there just to perform a ceremony, they encounter the resurrected Jesus. They confuse, they are in fear, but they go running. 
And that is the power of resurrection. Once you encounter the resurrected Jesus, you cannot just sit still. You cannot say, oh, life is so depressing and you know, blah, blah, blah. It gives you that energy. And you start running. They go and run to the disciples and they tell him, he is going to meet with you. Go and meet him in Galilee. Their life has changed. And obviously we have those uh, different apparitions of Jesus. Jesus appears to them. They're in the locked room and Jesus walks in there. Doors are locked, windows are barred, and Jesus is there. Thomas, we have the story of Thomas. He's like, I don't believe you. This is all a hallucination. I want to stick my fingers into his wounds. And Jesus comes up. He shows his wounds. Glorified body has the wounds. Thomas has the opportunity to stick his fingers, but he doesn't want to. Never does. No. He knows that uh, that is the most sacred moment of his life. His life has changed. The disciples, their life has changed. And they become really messengers. They're not like, okay, this journey was good. Our Lord is resurrected and he went back to God. And now we can go back to Galilee and, you know, find our old fishing boats and continue life. They don't do that. They become messengers. They become uh, the heralds who would go and give the message of the king, of the resurrected king, to the entire world. And that message gives us life. This is the message of the gospel. And this is what we celebrate in Holy Week and Easter Sunday. Did you want to add anything? I think the, 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 the only thing I'd want to add was, for, for our viewers, uh, was what we say to each other on Easter. Yes. Christos hariabi menelots, orkiale harutunum Christos. It's a declaration. Christ has risen from the dead. Blessed is the resurrection of Christ. This is how we greet each other. And it's a life-giving message. But remember, it is a journey. You cannot just skip everything. Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday and think that, oh, Zadigiega Vesta, you know. We have to go through uh, the Holy Week, especially Thursday, Friday. Those are really, really important. So that the Resurrection Sunday becomes meaningful. So I hope that this production of ours whether you're watching it or listening to it, uh, has been educational. We can't thank you very much for your time. Uh, I enjoyed talking to you. I learned a uh, few things that I haven't, uh, that I didn't know before. And as I said, this is the power of the scripture, right? There's always something new that comes to us. God reveals himself to us through the scriptures. Thank you for having me, uh, uh, I really appreciate this opportunity. And thank you for your continued service to St. Sergius Church. Thank you. Maybe we need to do.